Chapter Six of Raiding with Morgan by Byron Dunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Capture by Home Guards. All through Kentucky during the war, there were companies of troops known as Home Guards. They were in reality the militia of the state. They, in many instances, rendered valuable service and did much to keep Kentucky in the Union. If it had not been for them. The federal government would have been obliged to keep twice as many troops in the state as it did. Not being under as strict discipline as the United States troops, they were more dreaded by the southern element than the regular army. These home guards were very bitter, and lost no opportunity of harassing those who clung to the cause of the South. Now and then there were bands of these guards that were nothing but bands of guerrillas. Who lived by plundering, and they were frequently guilty of the most cold-blooded murders. It was by such a band that Calhoun was captured. He had been scouting toward Frankfort to see if the Federals were moving any considerable body of troops from that place to attack Morgan. He found them so frightened that they were not thinking of attacking Morgan. They were bending every nerve to defend the city from an expected attack by him. He was on his way back with the news that there was no danger from the direction of Frankfort, when he was told that a band of home guards, that were in fact a set of robbers, had their haunts in the rough hilly country to the south of him, and he determined to try to effect their capture. After riding several miles and hearing nothing of them, he ordered a return to Midway. The day was very hot. And coming to a crossroad where several trees cast their grateful shade, and a little brook ran babbling by, he ordered his men to halt and rest. The shade and the water were very acceptable to both man and beast. Dismounting, the men lay sprawling around in the shade. Seeing a house standing on an eminence up the crossroad, Calhoun decided to take one of his soldiers named Nevels and ride up to it. To see if he could learn anything. Better let us all go. There is no telling what one may run into in this country," said a sergeant named Graham, who, in the absence of Calhoun, would be in command of the little company. No, Graham answered Calhoun. Both men and horses are tired, and need the little rest they are getting. I do not think there is any danger. If I see anything suspicious, I will signal to you. With these words, Calhoun, with his companion, rode away. There he goes, as careless as if there were not an enemy within forty miles," said Graham, looking after them and shaking his head. I tell you, the lieutenant will get into trouble some of these days. He is altogether too rash; never thinks of danger. Don't worry about the lieutenant," lazily replied one of the men. "He never gets into a scrape without getting out of it." He is a good one. He is. The sergeant did not answer, but stood earnestly gazing after his chief, who by this time was about a quarter of a mile away. Here Calhoun and Nevels descended into a depression, which for a moment would hide them from the watchful eyes of the sergeant. As Calhoun entered this depression, he noticed that a thick growth of underbrush came up close to the side of the road. Affording a splendid place for concealment, for a moment a feeling as of unseen danger came over him, 
but nothing suspicious could be seen or heard, and, dismissing the thought, he rode forward. Suddenly Calhoun's horse stopped and pricked up his ears. "'What's the matter, Salem? What do you see?' exclaimed Calhoun, as he gently touched him with a spur. The horse sprang forward, but had gone a few yards when, as suddenly as if they had arisen out of the ground, a dozen men with leveled guns arose by the side of the road and demanded their surrender. Desperate as the chance was, Calhoun wheeled his horse to flee, when before him stood a dozen more men. His retreat was cut off. "'Surrender, or you are dead men,' cried the leader. Calhoun saw they were surrounded by at least twenty-five men, and a most villainous-looking set they were. There was no help for it. To refuse to surrender meant instant death, and Calhoun and Nevels yielded as gracefully as possible. The sergeant stood still, looking up the road, waiting for them to appear, when he caught sight of the head of a man, and then of another, and another. "'Boys,' he shouted excitedly, "'something is wrong. The lieutenant is in trouble.' The little squad sprang to their horses, and without thinking of danger or what force they would meet, rode to the rescue, the sergeant in the lead. But when they neared the place, they were met with a volley which brought three of the horses down and seriously wounded two of the men. "'Forward!' shouted the sergeant, staggering to his feet and holding his wounded arm, from which blood was streaming. But another volley brought down two more of the horses, and the sergeant, seeing their route numbered more than two to one, ordered a halt, and made preparations to resist a charge, which he thought would surely come. No charge came, and all was silent in front. The sergeant ordered an advance, but no enemy was found. They had silently decamped and left no trace behind, and had taken Calhoun and Nevels with them. Crippled as they were, and the sergeant suffering terribly from his wound, it was decided it would be madness to pursue with their small force. So one of the men on a swift horse was sent to carry the news to Morgan, while the others followed more leisurely. When the news reached camp, the greatest excitement prevailed, and every man in the command clamored to be sent to the rescue. Colonel Morgan chose Captain Huffman, who, with thirty of his famous Texan rangers, was soon galloping to the scene of the encounter, under the guidance of the courier who had brought the news. On the way they met Calhoun's little squad, sorrowfully returning. Not a man but begged to be allowed to go with the rescuing party, but this, on account of the tired condition of their horses and on account of the two wounded men, had to be refused. It was well along in the afternoon when the theater of the encounter was reached. Captain Huffman had with him three or four men who for years had been accustomed to Indian fighting in Texas. These men took up the trail and followed it like bloodhounds. After going three or four miles, the advance ran into two men, who sought safety by running into the woods, but a shot in the leg brought one of them down, and he was captured. At first he denied knowing anything of the affair, saying he had heard nothing of a fight. But when Captain Huffman ordered a rope to be brought, and it was placed around his neck, he begged piteously, saying that if they would spare his life, he would tell them all he knew. And this is what he told them. 
He belonged to a band of men, led by a man known as Red Bill, for his florid complexion. It was this band that had captured Calhoun and Nevels. It seemed that the officer whom they had captured had known Red Bill in Danville, and taunted him with being a chicken thief. This so angered Red Bill that he determined to hang the officer. This resulted in a quarrel among the members of the band, many of whom had become tired of the leadership of Red Bill, being fearful that his crimes would bring retribution upon their heads. At last it was agreed that the band would disperse. Red Bill, on the promise that he might have the two horses captured, agreeing to deliver the two prisoners to the Federal commander at Frankfurt. But, added the prisoner, whose name was Evans, I doubt if they ever reach Frankfurt. I reckon Red Bill will find some means of getting rid of them before he gets there. Captain Huffman listened to this story with horror. If this miscreant makes way with Lieutenant Pennington and Nevels, I will hunt him to his death. If it takes ten years, he declared. Then, turning to Evans, he asked, Did any of the gang side with Red Bill? Yes, five of them did, and stayed with him, was the answer. And you men, at least twenty of you, by your own story, coolly left our men to be foully murdered? furiously demanded Captain Huffman. The prisoner hung his head, but did not answer. Answer, thundered Huffman. Red Bill promised to take them to Frankfurt, he at length managed to say. And you have just admitted that his promise was worth nothing. Where did this thing occur? Where did you leave Red Bill and his prisoners? demanded Huffman. About three miles from here, answered Evans. Lead us to the place at once. I dare not, he whimpered. Red Bill will kill me if I give away the place of rendezvous. We are under a terrible oath not to reveal it. You need not fear Red Bill, answered Captain Huffman, in ominous tones, for I am going to hang you. Boys, bring the rope. Mercy, mercy, gasped the shivering wretch. Then lead us to the place where you left Red Bill, and that quickly. My wound, he whined, pointing to his leg. Bind up his leg, said Huffman to one of his men. The wound was rudely dressed, and then Evans was placed on a horse in front of a sturdy trooper. Now take us to the place where you left Red Bill, by the shortest and quickest route. You say it is three miles? If we don't reach it in half an hour, I will hang you like a dog. And continued Huffman to the trooper in front of whom Evans was riding, blow out his brains at the first sign of treachery. For answer, the trooper touched his revolver significantly. After riding swiftly for about two miles, Evans bade them turn into a path which led into the woods. The way became rough and rocky, and their progress was necessarily slower. Evans was in mortal terror, lest the half-hour would be up before they could reach the place. "'It's right down there,' he said at length, pointing down a ravine which led to a stream." The place was admirably adapted for concealment. On a small level place surrounded by high cliffs stood a tumble-down house. It was shut in from view from every point except the single one on which they stood. "'Leave the horses here,' whispered Huffman. "'I think I caught sight of someone down there. We will creep up on them unawares.' Leaving the horses in charge of ten men, Captain Huffman, with the rest of his force, 
silently crept down the gorge. We will now turn to Calhoun. After he was captured and heard his men cheering as they made the charge, his heart stood still, for he expected they would all be killed. He was therefore greatly surprised when the firing ceased and his captors came running back and hurried him through the woods at breakneck speed. The rapid pace was kept up for about three miles, when finding they were not pursued, they adopted a more leisurely gait. Of this Calhoun was glad, for he was entirely out of breath. The leader of the gang and another, probably the second in command, had appropriated the horses, and Calhoun and Nevels had been forced to walk, or rather run. Once Calhoun ventured to ask the result of the fight, and was told that all of his men had been killed. This he knew to be a lie, as his captors would not have retreated so hastily, if they had achieved so sweeping a victory. He asked another question, but was roughly told to shut up. When the rendezvous was reached, Red Bill, for the first time, noticed his prisoners closely. He started when he saw Calhoun, and then, turning to his gang, said, I reckon we had better string these fellows up and get them out of the way. String us up, boldly answered Calhoun, and I would not give a cent for your worthless lives. Morgan would never rest as long as one of you encumbered the earth. Who is afraid of Morgan? exclaimed Red Bill with an oath. He and the rest of you are nothing but horse thieves, and you will all hang one of these days. I know you, my young rooster. You are the son of that old rebel judge Pennington of Danville. I have it in for him. And I know you now, hotly replied Calhoun, forgetting the danger he was in. You used to live in Danville and went by the name of Red Bill. Your popularity consisted in the fact that you were known as an adept chicken thief. My father once sent you to jail for petit larceny. Bill's face grew still redder. You lie, you dog, he hissed. Your father did send me to jail, but I were innocent, and he knowed it. But he thought I were only poor white trash, and he was an aristocrat. I swore to have my revenge, and I will have it. Boys, what do we ins do with horse thieves in old Kentucky? Hang em, exclaimed four or five voices. And we ins will hang this crowin bantam. I will learn him to call me a chicken thief, classin me with niggers, exclaimed Red Bill with fury. What will we ins do with the other fella? asked one of the men. Hang him, too. Dead men don't talk. But some of the gang began to demur over this summary proceeding, saying that the federal authorities would deal severely with them if it became known they murdered prisoners in cold blood. Not only this, but Morgan had captured hundreds of home guards and paroled them. But if they should execute one of his prominent officers, he would show no mercy. The discussion became so hot that they came nearly fighting among themselves. At last one of them said, I'm tired of this whole business. I'm going home. And I and I cried a dozen voices. It was finally agreed that the gang should disband, only five agreeing to remain with Red Bill, being allowed to keep the plunder and horses they had captured. These men with Red Bill promised to deliver Calhoun and Neville's to the federal authorities at Frankfurt, unharmed. Calhoun and Nevels had watched this quarrel among their captors with the utmost anxiety, knowing that upon the result depended their lives. 
It was with the deepest concern that they beheld the members of the party depart, leaving them with Red Bill and his five boon companions. No sooner were they alone than the six, with oaths and jeers, tied their prisoners securely to trees, drawing the cords so closely that they cut into the flesh. Although the pain was terrible, neither Calhoun nor Nevels uttered a moan. After the prisoners were thus securely tied, Red Bill produced a bottle of whiskey, and the six commenced drinking, apparently taking no notice of their captives. The whole six were soon fiendishly drunk. Staggering up to Calhoun, Red Bill growled, "'Think we ain't going to take you to Frankfurt, I reckon?' "'That is what you promised,' replied Calhoun calmly. "'Well, we ain't. ain't. We ain't going to hang you.' Calhoun turned pale, then controlling himself by a powerful effort, he replied, "'Do the Home Guards of Kentucky violate every principle of honorable warfare?' "'Damn honorable warfare. Ewan's called me a chicken thief, and I call you a horse thief. Horse thieves are hanged. Ha-ha! <laughs> the son of Judge Pennington strung up for stealing horses. Won't that sound nice?' And he burst into a devilish laugh, in which he was joined by the others." Calhoun saw there was no hope. It was hard to die such an ignominious death. Oh, he thought, if I had only been permitted to die amid the flame and smoke of battle. Such a death is glorious, but this... A great lump arose in his throat and came near choking him. Gulping it back, he whispered to Nevels, Don't show the white feather. Let them see how Morgan's men can die. The brave fellow nodded. He could not speak. He had a wife and child at home. They were unbound from the tree, but their arms and limbs were kept tightly pinioned. Ropes were brought and tied around their necks, and the free ends thrown over a limb of a tree. "'Can ye tie a true hangman's knot, Jack?' asked Red, of the villain who was adjusting the rope around Calhoun's neck. "'That I can, Red,' he answered, with a chuckling laugh. "'It's as neat a job as any sheriff can do.' The sun had just sunk to rest. The gloom of night was settling over the forest. Calhoun saw the shadows thicken among the trees. The darkness of death would soon be upon him. "'String him up!' shouted Red. Just then the solemn hoot of a distant owl was heard. One of the men holding the rope dropped it and shivered from head to foot. "'Boys,' he whispered, "'let's don't do it. That's a note of warning. I never knew it to fail.' "'Cusky for a white-livered coward!' yelled Red Bill. "'String them up, I tell you.' For answer, there came the sharp crack of rifles, the rush of armed men, and the infuriated Texans were on them. No mercy was shown. In a moment, it was all over. Quickly the cords which bound Calhoun and Nevels were cut, and the terrible nooses removed from their necks. "'Thank God we were in time,' cried Captain Huffman, wringing Calhoun's hand. But Calhoun stood as one in a trance. So sudden had been his deliverance, he could not realize it. He had nerved himself to die, and now that he was safe, he felt sick and faint, and would have fallen if he had not been supported. Both he and Nevels soon rallied, and poured out their thanks to the brave men who had come to their rescue. "'We would never have found you,' said Huffman, "'if we had not run on one of the gang,' who, under the threat of death, piloted us here. "'Where is he?' asked Calhoun. 
with the boys up with the horses. Let him go, pleaded Calhoun, but for him I would now have been food for the buzzards. To which we will leave these carrion, answered Hoffman, pointing to the dead home guards. But we must be going. Morgan is impatient to be on the road. Great was the rejoicing in Morgan's command when Captain Huffman returned, bringing Calhoun and Neville's safe, and much satisfaction was expressed over the fate of their captors. In half an hour, after the return of Captain Huffman's command, Morgan's men were en route for Paris. End of chapter 6